be or not to be, that is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to take arms against a sea of troubles, and by opposing, end them, to die. To crowdfund or not to crowdfund? Oh, what a question indeed. GoFundMe, Kickstarter, Indiegogo, MyFreeImplants, Teespring, Patreon, YouCaring, DonorsChoose, KeepUp, GiveForward. Crowdfunding is the practice of supplying money to a project or venture by raising monetary contributions from a large number of people, typically now via the internet. One financial expert describes it as large groups of people combining their economic power to support an organization, company, or project they believe in. And the My Free Implants is a website that allows you to donate money to women who are looking to buy breast implants. Yes, that's a real thing. Oh, the internet. The earliest recording of the use of the word crowdfunding in this context was back in 2006. Yet this process predates the internet with projects like the Statue of Liberty, with video games, the first really big push for crowdfunding can be dated back to the Double Fine Adventure, later becoming known as Broken Age, which raised $3.3 million. Alongside Broken Age, Wasteland 2 raised $2.9 million. Planetary Annihilation, $2.2 million. Homestuck Adventure Game, $2.4 Project Eternity, $3.9 million all in the year of 2012. This would be the first big push for crowdfunding video games and an interesting ride into how the process works, what Kickstarter and crowdfunding really mean for the developer and its game, and how the general audience will interpret the machine. These first few games have been criticized for late releases, developers scrambling for more funds, and are reviewed poorly for releasing incomplete products. And this still continues today, with games like Bloodstained, Ritual of the Night, with 5.5 million, and Shinmu 3, which was announced 2015 at E3, raised 2.2 million dollars in its first day. Clearly, it shows that gamers want certain games to be made, and have no problem throwing their money at the screen to get things done. What could possibly go wrong? 
suffering the slings and arrows of outrageous torture. $3.3 million for a point-and-click adventure game created by a developer known to have helped carve the genre. Tim Schafer has an impressive resume with titles like Maniac Mansion, Day of the Tentacle, Brutal Legend, The Secret of Monkey Island, and Grim Friendango. Tim Schafer's company, Double Fine, proposed creating a retro-inspired point-and-click adventure game for the total cost of $400,000. $300,000 would be for the game, the other $100,000 would go to fund a documentary group to film their day-to-day -day activities as the adventure game builds from the ground up. Or, as Tim Schafer puts it in his Kickstarter video, a high-quality, serialized documentary that provides an unprecedented look into what really happens when a company like Double Fine makes a game. You know how they say you don't want to see how sausage gets made? We are going to show you how the sausage gets made. We are going to take our sausage and shove it in your face, warts and all. This would be one of the first times a major game developer was to give a real look into how video games are made. The true grit and challenges that a small developer would face when creating. Sure, there have been behind the scenes of some of our favorite titles. Halo comes to mind. That was a really fun documentary. But Bungie had to answer to Microsoft, the one who was footing the bills. So there's obviously pieces of interesting development taken out. But with Double Fine, they are their own boss. Q Explosions. Tim Schafer's purpose was to be as open and as transparent to their backers of adventure as possible and let the entire world see what an indie developer goes through when making a video game. It was either going to be great or a spectacular failure caught on camera for everyone to see. But what we got was far more than that. We are asking for this much to make the game and this much to film it. And that may seem like a lot of money, but it's really not that much for a game budget these days. It's pretty small, actually. 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 Soon into the production of Double Fine's adventure game, it became extremely apparent that they had two options. As Isis Stamos, director of product development, puts it, we need to um, significantly increase our funding for this game or significantly reduce the scope of the game. Increase the funding of the game or lower the scope. Keep in mind, Schaefer's original pitch for the game was $300,000. Collecting over $3 million, how could they possibly need more money? From a backer's perspective, $3 million should be enough to create 10 adventure games with a 300 k price tag. On the opposite side, you have to battle with Tim Schafer's imagination and the need for a big hit. This was his chance to get back on the map as someone who once had the world in his hand. 
Once it became obvious to basically everybody that the funding was gone and time was running out, Schaefer released a statement in the summer of 2013 that the game would not only be delayed, but split into two parts, with the revenue from sales from the first half going towards the development of the second half. The outcry from the community was huge, including articles with titles such as Surprise! Double Fine's adventure is over budget and delayed. And why do we keep forgiving Double Fine? Citing sources that other Double Fine projects that had moderate crowdfunding campaigns only to fall short with delivering a less than promised game. Schaefer himself received personal threats from backers who felt cheated, lied to, and ultimately had their money stolen under false pretenses. The gaming community is a powerful, emotional group of people who will fight in what they believe in. Anyone who goes against that becomes a target. So what really stemmed this frustration from backers? Yes, games get delayed all of the time. If I were to list the games that miss deadlines just from the past five years, it would easily extend the time of the show to a couple of hours. But that outrage seems quaint compared to Broken Age. And the reason for this falls to Kickstarter. To take arms against a sea of troubles. On the surface, Kickstarter is a simple process. Here is the project, this is how much money we need to make it, the expected delivery date of said project, and if you back it, you'll get certain perks depending on how much money you give us. Taking out the information on the project budget total, the rest sounds like a common pre-order process. If you give us money before the game is released, we will give you a gift, such as Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag, it was a football a banana pencil case for pre-ordering Donkey Kong Country, or one of my favorites, pre-ordering Street Fighter 4 got you a set of thumb puppets. Thumb puppets. The difference with Kickstarter is the pre-order gifts are awesome. For Double Fine's adventure, $60 gets you a 100-page PDF containing the game script, concept art, and developer bios. $250 gets you a signed poster of the game by the development staff. $10,000 gets you lunch with Tim Schafer himself and a tour of the Double Fine offices. That's better than any tiny football. On the surface, Kickstarter looks kind of like a pre-ordering website, but it's the complete opposite. Kickstarter at times can be used to really push a project to the finish line. It is budgeted to the exact dollar amount, the pledges and rewards are sensible, and the developer has a history of following through on their promises. More often than not, it's a ploy to show publishers that an idea that a developer has does come with some weight that people are willing to put up their own money in lieu of a final project. 
showing that you have 50,000 people who have donated over five and a half million dollars without any real product in hand would make any publisher stop and reconsider funding a project. But realistically, the game in question wouldn't even get off the ground for such a small amount of money. Pretty small, actually. 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 And this is where the biggest disconnect comes from. Us as gamers have no idea how video games are made. We don't know what the ins and outs, the day-to-day -day operations are required to produce and develop such a thing really costs. And of what we do know, only scratches the surface of the bigger beasts below. For example, how about just for a place to live while working? In the case of Double Fine Productions, which is located in the San Francisco area, the average price for a two-bedroom apartment is $4,000 a month. If you have a team of 20 people, just for a month of living expenses, you're looking at a total of $80,000 a month just to give people a place to live while working on your game. Obviously, this isn't the only view of Kickstarter or how indie games are made in general. One view I heard was on the recent episode of the Giant Bombcast, where guest host Danny O'Dwyer discusses his take on the latest entry into the video game Kickstarter craze, Ukulele, a 3D action platformer being created by former Rareware developers with such titles under their belts as Donkey Kong 64 and Banjo-Kazooie. The discussion is brought up by a listener-submitted email that was worried about the possibility of drawbacks of nostalgic Kickstarters. Brad Shoemaker, the host of the show, reads the email. Uh, after listening to you guys discuss ukulele a couple weeks ago and the new EGA game this past week, uh, it got me thinking about the nostalgic Kickstarter trend. Uh, do you think it's a drawback for the developers to have to trade on their old material so much? Uh, I'm sure some of them have bigger, newer ideas, but the crowd just wants more of what they already know. Uh, do former Rare employees want to make a spiritual successor to Banjo-Kazooie, or is that just what they're making because they know it will sell? Uh, along similar lines, Jeff said he'd be disappointed if the new Ega game is just more Symphony of the Night. Mm -hmm. Will these types of Kickstarters stifle creativity uh, and just ensure that we're playing the same games every 15 years? I feel like the people who make those are the people who are making those because they not because they can't or they won't make other games like they're the types of people who want to make those they have a passion for those games that yeah. they made years ago or maybe they're designers from a bygone era and they're just like you know what i, I was comfortable i made this type of game and i don't want to have to drag myself into the, few, the, the modern world of game design like i want to go back and do that and it yeah. seems like they find their audience via Kickstarter. Yeah, when i buy that stuff sometimes i don't even feel like i'm actually buying a product i feel like i'm like i'm tipping somebody who when i was a child i wasn't able to tip them yeah like sure. i feel like thank you so much for that thing you did somebody who molded you in yeah, some way it's really strange like sometimes a game just turns up and i'm like oh yeah <laughs> right forgot about that yeah you're not backing a project you're facilitating a dream yeah kind of <laughs> and the society that we live in money speaks louder than any word could Danny O'Dwyer is not a developer, nor has he ever created an indie game and tried to make some sort of living by doing so. He's a journalist. He makes a living just talking about games, which is a completely different look on the industry than someone who's on the inside. 
Now, for someone who's on the inside of the indie game community as a developer and dances the line of a video game appreciator, Idle Thumbs is another podcast that comes to mind. Created by many of the devs at the Campo Santo studio, Chris Remo takes a moment to discuss why development of video games are so secretive. Part of the question, I mean, I, I wonder if the question is entirely, he said, why is game development so secretive? And I, I wonder if part of it has to do with um, oh, oh yeah, the process part, like um, a piece on Polygon about uh, the Castlevania guy, uh, Igarashi, mm-hmm. his, his bloodstained Kickstarter, which is his sort of, you know, Castlevania like game that, that, that he's making. Um, and they asked for $500,000. Um, the actual budget of the game is $5 million, 90% of which he said he was, was planning on getting through publishing sources or other funding sources. Um, but the game, you know, they asked for 500,000 unless you like drill down and like go find interviews with him and read quotes and stuff. Like it just kind of looks, or like most people are just going to look at that be like $500,000. Great. Oh man, they raised five times that this is amazing. <laughs> there's, there's been a, a weird effect with the, with what you have to, the, the kind of game you have to play in terms of what you can ask for on Kickstarter to not look presumptuous or greedy versus what you actually need in order to make the game that you're trying to make. And I think the result of this is that people have really, really, really skewed ideas about what game budgets are. Yeah, I think you're right about that. How how incredibly off the like perceptions of game development are to realities of game development and how incredibly difficult it seems to be to um, bridge that gap. I mean, Double Fine um, did the whole Double Fine Adventure documentary, which is like, probably the single best just like look into kind of large scale or like mid scale game development that anyone's ever published in its kind of it just comprehensiveness and and the specific problems that they encounter and the specific solutions they choose are unique to that game but it like but they're it, not totally outrageous right but i think the specifics of double fine adventures like problems and pitfalls and you know roadblocks that they have have kind of painted it as, oh, that's what a troubled production looks like. Mm-hmm. It's actually just what game production looks like. like <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. You know? It's totally true. It's exactly um, true. And, was, like, because the game was announced before there was even a plot development started going on, it made it seem like development took forever, whereas in reality it took totally took a normal amount of time yep. for a game of that scope. Like, a completely normal amount of time. It felt like it was really delayed, but, like, that's one reason not to tell people about your game, really. Yeah. Because if you take the normal amount of time it takes to make a game, people are going to think it's taking forever. Whereas in reality, it's just that people usually don't tell you until it's a year yeah. out. The world of crowdfunding video games has seen a huge spike in interest and a quicksand trap all in the span of three years. That is the world you are walking into as a new developer. So how do you build trust in a world of disappointments? It's true that we are a forgetting people. As the years pass, many will forget about long delays or missing features. At one point, the Xbox One was not supposed to have a disk drive. Remember when Duke Nukem Forever was in development for 15 years? Damn, that was annoying. Senior executive of Nintendo, Shigeru Miyamoto, is famously quoted saying, 
a delayed game is eventually good. A bad game is bad forever. For anyone who's ever played Total Recall on the NES knows this sentiment very well. But from the beginning, it should always be about your community. It's impossible to overstate the importance of trust in a community building. As Seth Godin says in his book, Purple Cow, the idea is pretty simple. Find a small group that cares, give them something remarkable, and make it easy to tell their friends, the folks who don't care as much. If you underpromise and overdeliver on this initial group, building something with modest expectations and then surprise everyone with something great, your community will have no issue when the unexpected occurs. When you are launching something, don't announce the end date until you're sure you can meet the launch date. Keeping your community involved will allow for an open dialogue between you and the ones that are in your corner rooting for you. It'll give the public a place to find you, your hard work, and a dedicated community that is dying to be noticed. Under-promise and over-deliver. Make some noise. Be open and honest. Share your enjoyment with others. And if it makes sense to you, your community, and your indie game, then crowdfund it. You'll be surprised at how well you can do with a small group that has a lot of passion. I am Eric M. Hunter, and this has been The Time for Indie Games Is Now. For all of the links to articles and games that I've talked about in this episode, check out my website, ericmhunter.net. And if you like what you've heard, please subscribe.